Hi, I'm Paul Boney, Managing Partner and Healthcare Practice Leader with Whit Kiefer. Uh, we want to welcome you to the next installment of Building Bridges, a time of collaboration in healthcare. While the challenges with this pandemic, of course, have been profound, there are so many silver linings that we've seen with examples of bold, creative uh, leadership and new models of partnerships and precedents for uh, how uh, new changes are impacting uh, healthcare. And at Whit Kiefer, uh, we are committed to supporting exceptional leadership and believe that examples of exceptional leadership should be both recognized and honored. So we want our viewers uh, to take away examples today to help inspire them for the work that you're doing. I'm truly uh, delighted to be joined today by uh, Dr. Melinda Estes, uh, Dr. Estes is the current chair of the American Hospital Association and look forward to her uh, insights on uh, some of the policies and work that AHA is doing uh, to make a difference to the communities that they serve. Uh, we will make a uh, link available uh, as a part of this uh, session to uh, Mindy's bio, uh, but in summary, uh, since 2011, uh, Mindy has served as the CEO of the St. Luke's uh, Health System in Kansas City, uh, an 18 hospital health system. Uh, prior to that role, uh, Dr. Estes uh, spent uh, approximately eight years as the CEO of Fletcher Allen uh, Healthcare in Vermont, now the University of Vermont Health Network. Uh, she's a board certified neurologist and neuropathologist and for multiple years was named to Modern Healthcare's top 50 uh, most influential clinical executives. Mindy, welcome. Uh, really glad to have you with me today. Thanks for making time. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. So I was reflecting, Mindy, on when we actually first met and recall that it was, I believe, a sub-zero winter's evening after a search committee in 2003 with our friend and my now retired colleague, Anna Phillips. So I, I think that was the first time that we met. It was a typical Vermont day, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Well, before we dive in, Mindy, I first, uh, on behalf of our firm, wanna thank you for your leadership and, and everything that you're doing right now with supporting uh, not just the nation's health systems, but the nation. Uh, just given what we're all experiencing, we know this is a significant leadership time for you. So thank you for all that you're doing. Appreciate it. So uh, first love to dive in, Mindy, just to hear as I shared, there's been silver linings, uh, you know, through all of these challenges that you've been living relative to uh, new forms of bold collaborative leadership. Would be interested in, in any examples, things that you've seen from your work on new models of partnerships and, and just what has inspired you over these last several months? You know, it has been an interesting time. And, you know, I used to have a boss who said, uh, you know, that uh, when you have lemons, make lemonade. And I think, you know, never more so than in this pandemic have we really had the opportunity uh, to do that. You know, just a, a couple of, uh, of examples. Um, Innovative, perhaps not collaborative, certainly, and bold for St. Luke's, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the pandemic has really transformed American healthcare, how we deliver care, how we think about delivering care, and we've had to do it really very quickly. 
And so, you know, back early on in the pandemic, when, um, you know, we had a city and statewide shutdown, we had to figure out how to uh, service our 400,000 plus patients. You know, how were they going to see their primary care providers, their advanced practice providers, their specialists? And prior to the pandemic, about 1% of our visits were virtual visits, uh, with only a few of our healthcare providers uh, involved, because we all preferred to do it uh, in the time-honored way, which was, you know, in the office. Um, so we immediately started a virtual visit task force. And what was interesting about it is um, we put around the table a real multidisciplinary group, IT, education, communications, marketing, physicians, uh, nursing, nurse practitioners. And within a week, we had stood up an entirely new virtual platform and uh, a protocol. And just something unheard of for uh, an aircraft carrier like ours to pivot on a dime and do something that quickly. Um, it has served us well. And, you know, we're now, during the pandemic, we've done about 80,000 uh, visits and about continuing about 35% of our visits continue to be virtual and you know our providers like them our patients like them so you know, that's just one example it was collaborative I don't know as it was particularly innovative but harnessing disparate technologies across the system um, you know made a big difference I just give you one other example um, we've done a lot of things that we said we couldn't do you know, we had to have uh, five different doors open at our flagship hospital and five different places to admit people. You know, in the March-April timeframe, we realized we could do with two doors and two places to admit people, and we've not gone back. So I think as we look, there are a lot of lessons learned. And I know when I talk to my colleagues across the country, that's been one of the things that has struck many of us. Um, a lot of the things we said we couldn't do, we've done. And guess what? They've worked out really well. That's terrific. That's, those are great examples. I mean, when you think, Mindy, about what leadership competencies and qualities have been on display over these last several months, I mean, what, what are some of those competencies that have inspired you that have emerged I mean, when you think about leadership attributes and competencies? Well, you know, um, multitasking comes to uh, the top of, uh, of the list. I think, you know, all good leaders multitask, but we certainly have the luxury many times of uh, wrestling with the problem, um, figuring that problem out, um, executing on a strategy and then moving on to the next. I mean, COVID has made that uh, uh, impossible. And so, you know, I think you have to be comfortable with making decisions with imperfect uh, information. Um, you know, we, we have done the best we can do. We have two guardrails that we have put in place. One is to take the absolute best care of patients we possibly can. And secondly, to keep our staff safe. Um, and if we can fulfill those two um, guardrails, uh, we're making quick decisions. We're moving forward very quickly. And, you know, we analyze what we've done. If we've made a mistake, we go back uh, and fix it. So multitasking and, and really being uh, facile in making decisions, I think, is one of the big ones. Uh, a second one I, I might add is I think Many of us pride ourselves on listening to our frontline caregivers. 
but I don't think that has ever been more important. And, you know, they're the ones taking care of the patients. They're the ones risking their safety. They're the ones dealing with families who cannot see their loved ones. And uh, they, they can tell us how it's going, what they need, what we think is working um, that may not be working. And so we've worked really hard at, uh, at trying to do that. And then finally, the other thing that has struck me is communication and, and transparency. Um, you know, in big health systems, it is, it is very difficult sometimes to communicate enough. And one of the things I found about the virtual platform, it, it has allowed me to reach thousands of, uh, of our employees at, their, uh, at the time that is best for them. And, you know, they want to know um, what we know. They want to know that we're committed to keeping them safe. They want to know the challenges and maybe we don't have all the answers, but how are we going to figure it out? And so I think communication and transparency uh, has really been a leadership quality that um, at all levels has come to the front. Well, I, I, we can certainly relate here to just the adoption of virtual platforms, given you know how we've uh, re retooled a lot of how we are doing our work at Whitkiefer as well. Have you found across the country your counterparts are are embracing this form of communication and and convening in uh, in ways that have you know, what are your observations of just the adoption of of, of virtual technologies like this? Well, you use the word embrace. I don't know if any of us have embraced it. However, um, you know, I've done nothing um, that has not been virtual since early March. And so, you know, I uh, am on every virtual platform you can think of. I'm not sure I am a master of any, but um, we've all gotten better. And there, there have been some positives, you know, just the ability now to see people's faces. I think we've gotten better at interacting in a virtual way. Yeah. And certainly from a communication way, you know, we can, I can communicate to thousands of employees in my virtual town halls, whereas before I was only reaching hundreds. So I think there are some, some positives. And it'll be very interesting to see when we're allowed to go back to in-person, my guess is that it'll be a mix of virtual and uh, in-person. Yeah. I mean, these switching gears, as you know, one of the things that COVID has revealed are the su substantial challenges with how this disease has impacted uh, diverse uh, communities. And of course, there are so many different dimensions to this issue of health inequity uh, with social determinants being at the uh, foundation of this. I, I'm just curious what things you're starting to see take place uh, across the country and, and in the industry with respect to addressing aspects of health equity. Well, you know, Paul, unfortunately, um, the sad fact is that issues of health inequity uh, are not new in the country, and they were certainly known uh, pre-pandemic that people of color um, have worse illness, worse outcome and die earlier than their white counterparts. I mean, that's something that, that we've known. You know, the statistics uh, are out there. Uh, African-American women uh, die 22% more from heart attack, 71% more from cervical cancer, and an astonishing 243% more likely to die in pregnancy-related mm -hmm. complications. And those are pre-pandemic uh, statistics. Um, and again, I think what COVID has 
um, tragically but helpfully done is shine a very bright light on those disparities um, in care. And, you know, I did a, an article for the, uh, for the Arkansas Hospital Association specifically uh, on this. You know, um, Americans of color make up 18% of the population and 26% of, uh, of COVID deaths. So there is no way to ignore this um, disparity uh, anymore. And, and as I go across the country virtually and talk to uh, my colleagues, I think um, we've all felt that we're left with a, a mandate about how to advance health equity. Uh, what's different this time is, you know, in times gone by, I think we've searched for the, the perfect solution. You know, right. what is the one thing that we can do that will fix this? And, you know, right now, I think we recognize there are no perfect solutions and you've got to start somewhere and you have to start making inroads and you've got to start doing uh, things in a, uh, in a variety of, uh, of ways. And uh, I've talked to several of my colleagues um, who have said, you know, the first thing we need to do is listen to our communities of color. Uh, what are the barriers keeping them from accessing health care and staying healthy. And, you know, I think sometimes hospitals and health systems, we're pretty guilty of thinking that we know the answers. We know what's best. Let's put up a multi-million dollar clinic in, in, in an underserved area and that will do the trick. And oftentimes um, what, um, what folks in that community want is access to a safe place to exercise, access to health information, um, transportation. Uh, so I, I think it's incumbent upon us to, to really begin uh, to listen um, as we look for these solutions. That's great. Well, thanks for your perspective on that, Mindy. Again, I know this issue has so many different dimensions. Um, I'd be curious, just you know, as you've assumed this leadership role, which obviously you're very much in the in the midst of now. Obviously, not anything that you would expected uh, has been a part of your watch here. I, I just, I'd be interested in just hearing about your reflections. Um, you know, how you've adjusted to what is a very different leadership role with with AHA as chair during such an unprecedented time. Just some of your reflections over the last six months. Well, you know, it has been a, a great privilege to be uh, chair of AHA, and I've been an active AHA board member for a very long time, and to partner with Rick Pollock, who is the uh, CEO of AHA. And um, never could I have imagined uh, a year like we are having in 2020, which really shows no signs of, uh, of slowing down. I knew it was going to be uh, a consequential year because of the election in November, but who knew beginning in March that, uh, that perhaps the greatest uh, public health crisis and healthcare crisis in a generation would, would uh, you know, would fall, uh, would fall to us. Um, you know, I, I have been struck uh, with all of the um, meetings I've done with the field and all of the folks that I have interacted with that you know, hospitals and health systems during this pandemic have done what we always do with really little fanfare, which is to figure it out and take care of patients who 
who need our help. And I've been struck by that because, you know, um, in Kansas City, we have more COVID patients now than we had in the March-April timeframe. Um, But we are, um, we took good care of people in March and April. We're taking even better care of patients now because we've learned. And, you know, that's what we do as healthcare providers. We look for best practice. We understand the disease. We learn from each other. And I've really been struck by that uh, across, uh, across the field. Um, you know, AHA uh, has been shoulder to shoulder with all of us uh, right from, uh, from the very beginning. And, you know, as hard as we've all worked, AHA uh, and, and its staff have worked just as hard. And, uh, you know, the, the, the response really has been broken up into kind of three areas. One is something called relief and response. And, you know, that's at the very beginning, but it continues now. Um, you know, hospitals between March and June lost $200 billion. Mm. I mean, that's $50 billion a month, which is just staggering. Um, and so relief in the form of the CARES Act was really um, very important to hospitals, uh, both urban, rural, safety net, um, hotspot uh, hospitals, um, all of those things. And the other thing that uh, we HA has worked very hard uh, has for and has been helpful is all of the waivers we've needed to make it easier for telehealth to enable physicians licensed anywhere to provide care in a broader scope, which has been very helpful, as well as, you know, repurposing some of our beds, you know, some of the site of service restrictions. And so uh, the relief uh, piece has been, uh, has been tremendous. Um, I've been leading the HA Pathways to Recovery Task Force, and recovery is the second piece. Uh, HA board members and others around the country, and, and you know, we have a lot of smart people in healthcare, and when we harness the field, uh, we've really come up with a compendium of how do you reopen, how do you stay safely reopen, how do you reassure your patients, and how do you work on the three great pieces of the pandemic, which very simply are staffing, testing, and supplies. Uh, it was true in the beginning, and it's, uh, it's true now. And the other reflection I might have is, you know, we're looking forward. Um, you know, recovery, uh, rebuild, reimagine, relief continue to be issues, but now we're looking at health equity and at, at resiliency. Everybody in healthcare is tired. Yes. And behavioral health, which was an issue before, but is an issue um, now, not only for our patients, but for um, healthcare workers. You know, I think uh, we see a number of, of healthcare workers who have PTSD-like symptoms, and, and I think we will continue to see behavioral health really come front and center. Yeah, yeah. All, all critical issues. You know, going back to your comments, just what you've experienced at St. Luke's with respect to telehealth and, you know, are, are there things that you would see as critical for the sustainability of, of telehealth related types of programs? I know funding is obviously a, a, a considerable issue attached to that, but, you know, a few years out, are you still pretty bullish that, you know, telehealth will, you know, uh, continue to be a, a, the kind of platform that we think it will? 
Well, I am bullish. I'm, I'm of the opinion that going forward, anything that can be digital will be digital. So I think it won't just be telehealth. Uh, you know, we used our, our, our robots um, in the rooms with very sick COVID patients to minimize our staff having to go uh, back and forth. Uh, we used a lot of our telesitter capability to monitor patients. So uh, I don't think we will turn the clock back on any of those. We will need um, regulatory uh, relief. Some of it can be done administratively, but some of it will have to be done legislatively. And HA is working hard uh, on advocating for that. And you mentioned payment. Um, yeah, you know, um, governmental payers, I believe, have indicated they will pay, but not all private payers are going to follow suit. But I, I really think the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah. And um, healthcare has been somewhat behind in embracing digital technology. And I think this is, uh, this is a jump start. You know, our patients really like it. Um, our providers like it. And I might just give you uh, uh, an example. I uh, was talking to uh, one of our neurologists and uh, neurology, being a neurologist, you know, the art of neurology is laying hands on the patient and understanding how strong they are or are not and watching them walk and doing all of those things. And, and this, this particular neurologist said to me, you know, um, seeing this patient in their home environment and watching how they had to navigate through the living room and where the chairs were placed mm. and what their support system looked like. And the fact that they had three or four cats at their feet told me more about how I needed to care for that patient than one more reflex check or one more watching them walk uh, heel to toe. And so I think uh, we're all learning as we go forward. Yeah, interesting. That's very interesting. Well, Mindy, I, I really want to thank you for taking a few minutes out of, I know, your very busy schedule to uh, get together. I think you've given viewers here some just terrific examples, again, underpinning the aspects of multitasking, being facile, um, uh, bringing together uh, interdisciplinary groups to imagine you know, what's possible, but you know, obviously uh, leaning in at a, uh, at a pretty critical time in our nation right now. So, Thank you for all uh, that you shared with us today and again for, for all that you're doing. And uh, I wanna thank our, our viewers for connecting in, for uh, being a part of this uh, discussion today. So uh, thank you very much. Stay safe and uh, be well. Thank you, Paul, you too, be well. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in. We invite you to visit wakefer.com to learn more about our expertise and leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Wakefer on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Wakefer. Wakefer makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Reliance on the information provided in this podcast is undertaken at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials or the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of Wikiver. Wikiver assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials 
foreign third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein. But Kiever makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. But Kiever expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.